If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of November 21, 2021. The podcast that invented the shower umbrella. This is your host, Shane Killian. Next week is Thanksgiving in the United States, so like every year, there'll be no podcast. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and if you don't live in America, I still hope you have a great weekend, and maybe consider just eating some turkey with family and friends. Now let's acquit the news of the bogus. I'm doing the podcast prep immediately after the straight not guilty verdict from the jury in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. As our extensive coverage easily confirms, this was absolutely the right result. This was textbook self-defense, and anything else would have been not only an injustice, but a threat to anyone set upon by an angry mob or even just an individual assailant. But one of the stories I've been working on is about one of the questions I've had all this time, which is, if the DA's office was so all-fired gung-ho about prosecuting Kyle, why didn't DA Mike Gravely do it himself? Or Deputy DA Carly McNeil herself? Why did they kick it all the way down to a couple of assistants? In fact, Kenosha has 15 assistant DAs. Thomas Binger and James Krause were just two of them. Why did they get this case instead of someone higher up? One option was always that they knew they had a cheese-eater of a case and they didn't want to take the L, choosing instead to foist it off on people who don't have a choice. And a few days ago, a report came out that this is exactly what it was, according to what a legal insider in Kenosha told the Daily Mail. Quote, Bingram was set up for failure. Gravely is the superstar, and he knew this one was sure to tarnish it. They quote former Kenosha alderman and criminal defense investigator Kevin Mathewson as saying, quote, He has said things in court that have been ruled out of order, but once they have been said, you can't unring that bell. This is how Binger has always operated. He pushes the envelope as far as he possibly can, but this time, the whole world is watching him. It's unclear if Matthewson is the same insider previously quoted. He also said, quote, Gravely is by far the best prosecutor in the office, and he should be the one prosecuting the Rittenhouse trial, the most high-profile and difficult case his office is ever likely to handle. It's not that he hides from publicity. Earlier this year, he prosecuted a teenager called Martise Fuller, who killed his high school sweetheart and shot at her mother. That was a high-profile case, but it wasn't a difficult case to prosecute. There was video of the shooting. Just about any prosecutor could have got a conviction. As opposed to one where there's video of clear-cut self-defense. A similar observation was reported by media outlet Milwaukee Right Now, saying that gravely, quote, pawned the case off to his unfortunate assistant district attorney, Thomas Binger, who was left to spin gold out of a pile of self-defense straw. Former Milwaukee County Assistant DA Daniel Adams made similar statements to the Associated Press. Quote, He's got nothing. I just don't understand it. What are we doing here? We're all kind of scratching our heads. I'll tell you why. It was a political show trial. The DA couldn't dismiss the charges without invoking the ire of the mob, and he couldn't have an L on his record either, so he kicked it down. And the jury's inevitable result, which came after three and a half days of careful consideration, only confirms it. 
If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. During the Scopes Monkey Trial, Clarence Darrow commented that what was really on trial was the right to think. That's still the case with Rittenhouse, even after he walks home a free man, as many Kenosians prepare for what they're afraid are going to be more riots, looting, and burning. Because some people just won't be swayed by facts. Glenn Greenwald brings all this home by comparing it to recent events involving Project Veritas. The FBI has executed search warrants on the homes and cell phones of founder James O'Keefe and several others connected to it. Why? Let's get a bit of background first. When Joe Biden's adult daughter Ashley was in rehab, she kept a journal, as is typical for rehab patients as part of their treatment. It contains a lot of incriminating information regarding very disturbing criminal acts inflicted on her as a child by her father, of a nature that would get this podcast demonetized if I described them. Apparently, she left it there, and someone found it, and gave it to someone else, and it ended up with Project Veritas. But, Project Veritas couldn't verify it really was Ashley Biden's journal, and couldn't verify whether or not the allegations in it were true. So they contacted Ashley's attorney to turn it over. The attorney refused because he didn't want it to be a tacit admission that the journal was hers. So their only other option was to turn it over to law enforcement. But rather than investigate the journal's authenticity and investigate the very disturbing allegations it contained, the FBI and, who else, the Southern District of New York... Yeah, how many problems have we had out of those fascist whack jobs? decided to raid Project Veritas and James O'Keefe to discover how they got the diary to begin with. Not only did they illegally seize information about confidential sources to Project Veritas that have nothing to do with this case, they also seized privileged attorney-client communications. Greenwald explains, That does not mean the FBI investigation is inherently improper. Journalists are no more entitled than any other citizen to commit crimes. If there is reasonable cause to believe O'Keefe and his associates committed federal crimes, then an FBI investigation is warranted as it is for any other case. Yet virtually nothing has been provided to justify the FBI's targeting of O'Keefe and his colleagues, and the little that has been disclosed by way of justifying this makes no sense. But, like they've done with Julian Assange and so many others, they're trying to justify it by saying that their targets aren't real journalists. We've talked about this quite a bit. The founders never intended the press freedoms of the First Amendment to apply to an elite group. 
Everyone is a potential journalist, and you don't need anyone's permission or certification. But as Senator Dianne Feinstein said, quote, Mr. Assange claims to be a journalist and would no doubt rely on the First Amendment to defend his actions. But he is no journalist. He is an agitator intent on damaging our government, whose policies he happens to disagree with, regardless of who gets hurt. Greenwald knows all about that. He, Lara Poitroff, and their colleagues had those very claims used against them as well regarding the Snowden revelations, regarded as quasi-criminal by Obama officials such as James Clapper, as well as the New York Times. Such a tactic has always been employed by governments, but nowadays there's a more sinister element. As Greenwald explains, quote, What is most striking about this weapon is that, like the campaign to agitate for more censorship, it is led by journalists. It is the corporate media that most aggressively insists that those who are independent, those who are outsiders, those who do not submit to their institutional structures are not real journalists the way they are, and thus are not entitled to the protections of the First Amendment. In order to create a framework to deny Project Veritas' status as journalists, the New York Times claimed last week that anyone who uses undercover investigations as Veritas does is automatically a non-journalist because that entails lying. Even though just two years earlier, the same paper heralded numerous news outlets such as Al Jazeera and Mother Jones for using undercover investigations to accomplish what they called compelling reporting. They are invoking the authoritarian theory that maintains that the state, or in this case the FBI, is vested with the power to decree who is a real journalist, whatever that means, and who is not. So why are they doing this? Greenwald explains, quote, The answer is obvious. They are unwilling and or incapable of thinking in terms of principles, ones that apply universally to everyone, regardless of their ideology. Their thought process never even arrives at that destination. This primitive, principle-free, personality-driven prism is the only way they are capable of understanding the world. Because they dislike O'Keefe and or Assange, they instantly side with whoever is targeting them, the FBI, the DOJ, the security state services, and believe that anyone who defends them is defending a right-wing extremist rather than defending the non-ideological, universally applicable principle of press freedoms. They think only in terms of personalities, not principles. If you express concern for the FBI's targeting of O'Keefe, it will be instantly understood not as concern about any of these underlying principles, but instead as an endorsement of O'Keefe's politics, journalism, and O'Keefe himself. The same is true for the discourse surrounding Kyle Rittenhouse. If you say that, after having actually watched the trial, you believe the state failed to prove his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt in light of his defense of self-defense, many will disbelieve your sincerity, will insist that your view is based not in some apolitical assessment of the evidence or legal principles about what the state must do in order to imprison a citizen, but rather that you must be a supporter of Rittenhouse himself, his ideology, whatever it is assumed to be, and the political movement in which he, in their minds, is associated. Which, as I've pointed out many times, generally tends to be confession through projection. They think that everyone else's viewpoint is as infantile, as corrupt, and as hateful as theirs. Meanwhile, going back to O'Keefe, the Committee to Protect Journalists has gotten behind him and expressed concern over the raid based on those very same principles. Coordinator Catherine Jacobson said, quote, 
While we do not endorse some of the tactics Project Veritas employs, the FBI's recent raids on the organization's founder and his associates represent a concerning overreach by law enforcement. The government must provide a clear link between members of Project Veritas and alleged criminal activity before searching their homes for information about source material. Conducting raids without this kind of link sets a dangerous precedent that could allow law enforcement to search and confiscate reporters' unpublished source material in vague attempts to identify whistleblowers. But it can't be that they're principled and stand up for what's right no matter who's involved. No, they must be ultra-right-wing racist white supremacists or something. As Greenwald concludes, quote, In a world in which ideology... Partisan loyalty, tribal affiliations, in-group identity, and personality-driven assessments predominate. There is no room for principles, universally applicable rights, or basic reason. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age, so go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world, and they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. That also seems to be the case of the EPA. We've actually seen it since the EPA was formed, but now it's been confirmed in a survey of almost 3,000 EPA scientists. And before you go accusing it of bias, the survey was conducted by the EPA itself. And it found that over two-thirds of EPA scientists found themselves unable to do their work because of, quote, intimidation or coercion to alter scientific data or findings. Conclude what we say you should, or else... I shouldn't need to tell you that this is not how science works, but as we've seen at the CDC, FDA, and more recently at the NIH, this does very much seem to be a part of how government science works. The results were obtained and published by Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility, or PEER, whose director Jeff Ruck wrote, The survey results depict an EPA where politics routinely tramples science with no rescue in sight. The Biden EPA has been big on rhetoric, but short on any follow-through. The findings actually cover both Trump and Biden administrations, but again, there's no reason to believe it's either partisan or new. One in ten said that they were, quote, pressured to misrepresent or inappropriately alter, without justification, scientific conclusions or research findings. One in eight said that they were pressured to do so with, quote, scientific conclusions or research findings and policy documents. Over 200 of them said they'd experienced retaliation on an issue of scientific integrity. 70% said they were uncomfortable even reporting issues to their supervisors. Two-thirds believe nothing will change. And 58% fear retaliation from senior agency leadership. 
The greatest obstacles to upholding science were reported to be political interference, industry interference, and fear of retaliation. Peer reported, Besides ignoring risk indicators, EPA managers routinely use a 90-day review timeline to intimidate staff into signing off on assignments where there is insufficient data to reach a conclusion. And they give examples in their report. This is why peer review is so crucial in science. Just more evidence to reiterate the conclusion. Never trust science conducted by a government agency. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to archdiapate this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week it goes to climate scientists. And you may think it's unfair of me to tag all of them, and you'd be right. But the ones we're talking to are the ones being pointed to as representing the consensus of climate science, even though the scientific consensus doesn't work that way. Yes, we're talking about them hating on nuclear energy, in particular Bill Gates and his firm TerraPower's natrium reactors. Natrium is an SMR, a small modular reactor, which outputs about 300 megawatts as opposed to the one gigawatt that typical reactors produce. It's also a molten salt reactor, so its safety is completely passive, it's reliable, and it can't melt down because it's already molten. It's safe, reliable, and can produce electricity for about half of what we're paying now and about a fourth of what so-called renewables cost. I'm including a link to the YouTube video from Illinois Energy Prof on natrium. Basically, the idea is that these will be mass-produced, installed on site, and then switched out at the end of their life. Their first reactor will be in Wyoming, which is the country's top coal-producing state. So you'd think they'd like this. Nuclear is also the only way we're going to make the Clean Energy Transformation Act's goal of coal-free energy by 2025 and carbon-free energy by 2045. But the climate crazies just can't get rid of their love fest with solar and wind, and sadly, those crazies include a lot of scientists. When the fact is, solar and wind will never be able to be the foundation of a lasting power system, merely a supplement. Because the sun doesn't shine all the time, it gets cloudy, and wind is intermittent and unpredictable. Unlike natrium, which produces nuclear power at a consistent 345 megawatts, but, thanks to the use of nitrate heat storage, can vary this output between 100 and 500 megawatts as needed moment by moment as consumption varies through the day. If anything, solar and wind drop down exactly when you need them the most. 
But that doesn't dissuade people like Anthony Froggett, research fellow at Chatham House who used to campaign for Greenpeace. Quote, They aren't that small. This is 345 megawatts. While much smaller than existing reactors, 1,000 megawatts, they are still large and may not be as modular as intended, and this undermines the argument that they can be built in factories and then shipped out, which is how they're supposed to be cheaper. Uh, how does that follow? And then there's one of the biggest names in climate science, the darling of the environmentalists movement, Michael E. Mann, he of the hockey stick. This is that graph that shows temperatures being completely flat up until the Industrial Revolution, turning sharply upward at that moment because capitalism or something. Never mind the fact that the actual climate consensus is that the human factor in climate change didn't become significant until the late 1950s. The main reaction other scientists had to the hockey stick graph is, hey, what happened to the medieval warm period? Where's the little ice age? Those are undoubtedly part of our climate's history. But ask that question, and you get called a denialist and all sorts of mean, nasty, ugly things. Never mind the fact that man hasn't ever properly published how he came up with the graph. When man sued a critic for defamation in British Columbia, the B.C. Supreme Court threw out the case because man refused to turn over his regression data he used to produce the graph. Truth is a defense to defamation in Canada, and the Supreme Court ruled that man's refusal to turn over the data after nine years meant that he couldn't prove that the claims against his graph were false. In real science, you publish the data. All of it, including your regression. You don't hold it proprietary, and you use that data to debunk your critics, not lawsuits. That is very telling for what kind of a person man is. You can accept the existence of the medieval warm period and the little ice age and still believe anthropogenic global warming is a problem. You can believe that if you're a scientist. You can believe that if you're a rationalist. You can believe that if you're just a reasonable person. But you can't believe that if you're a dogmatist. To a dogmatist, Every issue is black and white, and every bit of nuance is the result of dangerous opposition that must be expunged. And man is one of the biggest enemies of clean, safe, cheap, carbon-free nuclear power. Of natrium specifically, he said, quote, It's misguided and dangerous because it leads us down the wrong path. The obstacles to meaningful climate action aren't technological at this point, they're political. Yeah, and you're part of the problem. That's why all those attempts to build nuclear reactors have failed. It has nothing to do with the technology. It has to do with people like you getting in the way. One of the worst is John Haverkamp of Greenpeace. Quote, Nuclear energy is a diversion from urgent climate action. Geez, do these people have stock in renewables or something? Or maybe they have stock in oil companies, because oil consumption for electricity only goes up as renewables are implemented. Look at Germany's experience compared to France, who decided to go nuclear. He said, quote, The recent attention on nuclear energy is fully driven by the declining industry's desperation for capital and its related lobby depicting it as a solution for climate change, fully employing the Goebbels stratagem. New nuclear power, be it large reactors, evolved from the existing fleet, or new small designs, 
can deliver only a marginal part of greenhouse gas emission reduction. Well, maybe that wouldn't be the case without nimrods like you getting in the way. It's like shooting a runner in the legs and saying he can't win a marathon. Quote, It also does so too late and at far too high cost. To make a dent in greenhouse gas emissions, we would need hundreds of new reactors spreading the risk of proliferation. Yeah, that's always the excuse, isn't it? Nuclear reactors are exactly like bombs, even though they're completely different. Especially molten salt reactors like natrium, which use up all the transuranics so it can't be weaponized. Listen to him shovel it, quote, The natrium reactor is what we call a fast breeder reactor type. Those reactors are proliferation nightmares. They are delivered together with the reprocessing technology that also is necessary to isolate material for nuclear bombs. For that reason alone, I think the ideas of Gates in this respect are outright dangerous. Oh, where do I start? The whole point of a fast reactor is to burn up nuclear waste. Fast reactors burn up transuranics and result in waste with a lifetime of 300 years, not 300,000. And even that can be reduced with reprocessing. It's that reprocessing that liars like Haverkamp try to make into proliferation. But it's not true, especially in the case of natrium. However, remember he said, The natrium reactor is what we call a fast breeder reactor type. This is an outright lie. Natrium is not a breeder. The excuses about proliferation made with breeder reactors, which are pretty much bogus to begin with, don't apply to natrium because it uses high-assay, low-enrichment uranium, or HALU. There's no reprocessing, and there's a high burn-up fraction. Haverkamp and Mann and the others are liars, as is Cornell University's Robert Howarth, who calls it experimental, even though the technology has existed since the 1960s, and claims, quote, Today, wind and solar energy are far cheaper, far faster to deploy, and far safer than traditional nuclear plants. When, as regular listeners know, none of that is true. We've covered the hideous human and environmental costs of solar and wind, which the environmentalists just want to ignore. Climate change is an issue we need to solve, but we have the solution. Nuclear power is safe, cheap, and carbon-free, and natrium is a very safe and efficient implementation of it. The only reason to oppose it is political dogma. So all of that makes these climate scientists this week's biggest bogan emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price.
Once again, that's fernmu.bogosity.tv. And now a special treat, the third Silver Kluon winner for 2021. And this time, it goes to linguist and sociologist John McWhorter for some much-needed clear-headedness in racial issues. And it's not just that he's stating it in clear, easy-to-grasp terms, but he's a black man saying it on MSNBC, which is going to make it harder for the woke haters to deny and claim it's white supremacism or whatever. He appeared on Morning Joe to discuss his new book, Woke Racism, How a New Religion Has Betrayed Black America. In the interview, he said, We have an idea that in order to show that you're a good person, in order to show that you know that racism exists, what you're supposed to do is treat black people like children. And I know that nobody is thinking that consciously, but the problem is that we've gone from trying to make life better for black people who need help to what I really do think of as a religion, where the guiding tenet is to show that you know racism exists, to make gestures that show that you know racism exists, but not to actually be concretely concerned with helping black people in the real world who need help. And what it means is that often you can show that you know racism exists while actually hurting black people by, to take one of many examples, supposing that to show that you know racism exists means that you exempt black people from serious competition in terms of testing, in terms of evaluation, in terms of moral judgment, out of the sense that you understand that black people have had a bad past and that therefore you have to change the rules. But what you end up doing is treating black people, black Americans, as the first people in the 300,000 years of human history who are not responsible for their actions, who cannot be held to the standards that everybody else is held to, with the idea that that is advanced thought rather than condescension and tokenism. This is a real problem because I know that a lot of people think they're doing good out there. And I know that a lot of us black people think that we're doing good by assisting white people in portraying us this way and treating us this way. But I think if we pull the camera back and even just think about what civil rights was, say, 50 years ago, we realize that this is not sociopolitical progress. This is kabuki. And I really do think it needs to stop. Enjoy your shiny new silver Kluon, McWhorter. You earned it. And I assure you, it's a Kluon, not a token. And now let's hyper-criticize this week's... Idiot And this week it goes to PolitiFact. In another case where they've been proven to be wrong, 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 they were wrong at the time, it was obvious they were wrong, and now that they've been proven wrong yet again, they just can't properly admit it. Yes, we're back to Kyle Rittenhouse. Hopefully there'll be other things to talk about, or maybe idiots will try to keep the fake controversy going, but either way, this is regarding their so-called fact-check telling readers that Kyle's possession of his M&P-15 was illegal, even after the judge threw out the weapons charge. The claim being checked is, At 17 years old, Kyle Rittenhouse was perfectly legal to be able to possess that rifle without parental supervision, and it's still rated as false. As for the exception, they had written, quote, John Monroe, an attorney who specializes in gun rights, told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that there's an exception for rifles and shotguns, which is aimed at letting children ages 16 and 17 hunt, 
that could apply. But Rittenhouse wasn't in Kenosha to hunt. In their so-called correction, they doubled down, saying, quote, These subsequent events show the gray areas of local gun laws. Hardly a case of something being perfectly legal. Our fact check remains unchanged. But it isn't a gray area. It might be a bit complicated to try and trace out, but when it comes down to it, this is simple Boolean logic that every first-year coder can follow. Wisconsin State Legislature 948.60, Possession of a Dangerous Weapon by a Person Under 18, says, quote, In this section, dangerous weapon means any firearm, loaded or unloaded, any electric weapon, metallic knuckles or knuckles of any substance which could be put to the same use with the same or similar effect as metallic knuckles, a nunchaku or any similar weapon consisting of two sticks of wood, plastic, or metal connected at one end by a length of rope, chain, wire, or leather, a cestus or similar material weighted with metal or other substance and worn on the hand, a shuriken or any similar pointed star-like object intended to injure a person when thrown, or a Manrique Gusari or similar length of chain having weighted ends. You don't see too many statues with the word Manrique Gusari on it. Apparently they just come from a Jackie Chan film festival. Their pain is in subsection C of paragraph 3. And notice that whenever lefties posted a screenshot of this law online, they always seem to crop it off just above this point. What a coincidence. Anyway, subsection C says, quote, This section applies only to a person under 18 years of age who possesses or is armed with a rifle or shotgun if the person is in violation of section 941.28 or is not in compliance with sections 29.304 and 29.593. It sounds a bit confusing, but break it down. They have to be in violation of one of two things. That's the or. A violation of either one will get you in hot water. The first one is 941.28, which has to do with short-barreled rifles, with either a barrel length of less than 16 inches or an overall length of less than 26 inches. Kyle Smith & Wesson M&P 15 Sport 2 has a barrel length of 16 inches and a total length of 35 inches. In fact, the thing that finally made Judge Schroeder drop the charge is when the prosecution finally admitted that they knew all along it wasn't a short-barreled rifle. Of course, that was after their bogus complaint that the defense didn't measure the barrel when the burden of proof is on them and they had the gun anyway. So Kyle is covered on the first part. The next part has an and in there. This is the second part of the or, so for this part to apply, he has to be out of compliance with both of these statutes. 29.304 is Restrictions on Hunting and Use of Firearms by Persons Under 16 Years of Age. Kyle was 17 at the time, and he could not be out of compliance with a statute that doesn't apply to him. Which means we can stop right there. If he's not out of compliance with this, then he's not out of compliance with both. But just to satiate your curiosity, 29.593 is Requirement for Certificate of Accomplishment to Obtain Hunting Approval. They all agree that Kyle didn't have a hunting license, but as I said, this is moot anyway, since he's in compliance with 29.304. Say it's hard to follow all you want, and the statute might be weirdly worded and laid out, but nobody would write the statute like this if they wanted a blanket prohibition on 16- and 17-year-olds. By the way, in case you're wondering about his friend Dominic Black, and whether or not he can still be charged with buying the rifle for Kyle and giving it to him, subsection C goes on to say, quote, 
This section applies only to an adult who transfers a firearm to a person under 18 years of age if the person under 18 years of age is not in compliance with sections 29.304 and 29.593. So he didn't break the law either. Real Clear Investigation senior writer Mark Hemingway tweeted, This fact check has always been wrong, but now that the weapons charge has been dropped, it's officially pants on fire. And Babylon B writer Frank Fleming asked the eternal question, Who facts the fact checkers? I guess that will be quis inquirit ipsos inquisitores. Alright, enough fun with Latin. But PolitiFact was easily shown to be wrong at the time, and the fact that they took the time to actually write a correction and still didn't admit they were wrong speaks volumes. I guess they just lack attention span or something, because they're just reading the first part of the section without reading further down to look at the exceptions. Either that, or they're pretending that a subsection isn't a part of the section of the law. That's the only way they can come to their insane conclusion. Granted, you have to put a bit of work in to trace all of this out, but that's their job! We did this long ago on this podcast and discussed it in the comments. If we can do it, how is it the PolitiFact got it wrong and continues to get it wrong, refusing to acknowledge their blunder after it's pointed out? The sad thing is, even if what they're now saying is true, that, quote, these subsequent events show the gray areas of local gun laws, then it doesn't mean it's, quote, hardly a case of something being perfectly legal. It means that the law is void under the vagueness doctrine. PolitiFact are not fact-checkers. They're just another example of Killian's Law. So all of that makes PolitiFact this week's Idiot Extraordinary! Well, that wraps up this Anyone Told the Stiffy Joke Yet? edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join in the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Robert M. Persig. You are never dedicated to something you have complete confidence in. No one is fanatically shouting that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. They know what's going to rise tomorrow. When people are fanatically dedicated to political or religious faiths or any other kinds of dogmas or goals, it's always because these dogmas or goals are in doubt. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. 
And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.